You know me. I'm all about simplifying and outsourcing whenever I can. If I can get something delivered to the house, instead of taking time away from my family and work, I'm going to do it. And that's why I love well.ca. It helps me stay organized, helps me stay on top of things, make sure I have my essentials on hand. It just makes things simple. And as a busy household, this is key. Well.ca delivers wellness on your terms. They believe that you should never have to compromise on health, wellness, baby, and beauty products that you choose for yourself and your loved ones. Well.ca offers a broad selection of carefully curated, peer-reviewed products, all available online, delivered right to your door. With over 40,000 products in Canada's largest assortment of green and natural brands, plus all of your familiar favorites, they make it easy to make choices that you can trust. Seriously, it's an easy to shop website with a wide range of products and super fast shipping. Free on orders over $49. They're all about making the lives of busy Canadians a little bit easier. Can I get an amen? Personally, well.ca is where I get my Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee, protein, protein bars, cleaners, the kids' favorite hydration drinks, the list goes on. You can visit well.ca for all things health, wellness, baby, and beauty, and use the code JAMIE10 for $10 off your first order. Again, that's www.well.ca, W-E-L-L.ca, and use the code JAMIE10 for $10 off your first order. Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. Tracy Crossley is our expert today. I think you're really going to like this interview. Tracy Crossley is a behavioral relationship expert, the author of Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious and Avoided Attachment Styles and Building Healthier, Happier Relationships healthier, happier relationships. I think that is the goal for everyone. She specializes in treating individuals with unhealthy life and relationship patterns. She helps clients transform their imposter syndrome, insecure attachment, negative belief systems, breaking the cycle of narcissistic damage, destructive self-talk, and more. With a background in psychology and an innate emotional intuition, which draws from her own personal experiences, Tracy shows her clients how to permanently change the repetition of unhealthy, unhappy, and unfulfilled cycles personally and professionally. Tracy is also a stepmom. In this one, we dive into the drama triangle, how to know you're in it, roles stepmoms often play in drama. We talk about boundaries, insecure attachment, how to get out of unhealthy life and relationship patterns, 
And it's just a good one. Actually, I also share a personal experience where I wasn't sure if I made a mistake or not in letting down a boundary and re-engaging and then disengaging once again. So we dive into that as well. Anyway, Tracy is a gem and I'm excited to share this episode with you. Let's dive in. All right, Tracy, I am just so pumped to dive into this today. I was going through your website and I kind of got overwhelmed because you have so many resources and so many areas where you can help people, which is such a great thing. I was like, where can I talk to her about things? Like, what is the best thing for my community? And then I found the drama triangle. Mm -hmm. So let's start there because obviously, you know, we've got stepmoms in this community. We got co-parenting, all the things. And with that, unfortunately, can come some drama. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. It's funny that you bring that up. I used to do retreats and I would do the drama triangle as a role play. And it was always funny. And usually the situation was something where there was a step parent and, you know, and then you have the parent, usually in the case, it was mom with her new husband and then dad coming and dad is flaky and, you know, the whole thing. So anyways, yeah, we would do this whole action oriented role play because people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe I do that. So just to fill everybody in on what the drama triangle is. It was developed by Dr. Stephen Cartman back in the early 70s. And it's about relational dynamics where you have a perpetrator or persecutor, a victim and a rescuer. And so if you look at movies, this is in movies, it's in love songs. I mean, it's all over the place in our society. And so we don't realize that a lot of times when you are especially in a, let's say, a tenuous situation, you are usually in a position on that triangle, whether you think so or not. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about these roles again. So there's the three roles, the persecutor, Mm -hmm. the rescuer, and the victim. Yes. Okay. Can you unpack those a little bit in case some people are like, okay, what exactly do you mean? Okay. So basically a persecutor is going to be the bully. It's going to be the person, let's say, who's outwardly upset. Okay. Like the one who's yelling, the one who's lost control. All right. But they have an agenda and their agenda is to conquer and win whatever it is their agenda is. They just make it very apparent. You have the rescuer and the rescuer is a very interesting position because when you're rescuing, right, you're trying to take care of things. You're trying to fix things. You're trying to make everything okay for everybody. You don't realize that you're not taking care of yourself 99% of the time. And so you have underlying anger as well. It's just not outward. It's more inward. And the victim is the person who's, oh, this always happens to me. I have no power you know, you're always doing this to me. They say things like that. You're always doing this or you make me instead of being empowered, instead of standing there and saying, Hey, I'm making a choice and this is what I'm doing. They tend to respond in a way that says it's everybody else's fault, but theirs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we've all experienced that. Now, can you be two different roles ever? Or is it typically, this is your role and you stay in that? So basically you do have, you know, where you're switching around, depending on the situation. It's usually the same with the same people, but let's say at work, it's different. At home, it's different. You know, if you're dealing with an ex, it's different. 
it's different depending on how you get triggered. Okay. And what position you're used to taking. And we learn this in childhood. Like if you look back at your childhood environment and you were watching mom and dad, guaranteed they were on the triangle because most of us are without knowing we're on it. Mm-hmm. Now in the triangle, would you ever feel like, cause I always say in step family situations, right? You know, maybe mom thinks that dad's trying to screw her over. And then like dad thinks they're the victim. And you know, you have maybe the stepmom who's coming in trying to like save the day and like the high functioning codependent, all of that kind of stuff. Do you ever have people who think they're in the same role <laughs> like at the same time in the triangle? I guess I answered my own question there. Well, it's interesting because you can be like a victim and a rescuer, right? Or I always say you could be the victim and the martyr. The martyr is not on the triangle, but I always feel like the victim and the martyr, it's like two sides of the same coin. So when it comes to the rescuer, though, oftentimes you may be switching back and forth depending on who you're interfacing with because you get a certain benefit from each position. It's not necessarily a positive benefit. It's more like a codependency benefit where, oh, okay, I'm getting the attention that I need because I'm feeling, you know, out of sorts because, you know, the situation is out of control. Perhaps there's something going on with, again, an ex or the kids or what have you. And so you feel like you are completely triggered And you may be all over the map, but you'll usually find that it's one position, again, with certain people that you tend to crave, or you, I don't want to say crave, but I guess it is crave because you don't realize that you're looking for, again, some validation for the position. Okay. Interesting. So why is this triangle problematic? Like we see it everywhere. It's very common in dynamics. What's the problem? It's called building resentment and not actually having a close, intimate, let's say emotionally intimate relationship with another person. So it's unhealthy. You know, you're constantly trying to win in your position, right? If I'm the victim, I need to win. I need you to feel bad for how I feel, right? It's very codependent. Or if I am the bully, you know, I'm the persecutor, I need to get my way. Well, the people giving in to your way, they're not going to be happy. They're not going to want to be close to you. They're going to be upset whether they express it or not. And then the rescuer who just feels drained all the time because they're trying to fix everything, that's not a healthy position either. Nobody is actually being honest. You know, you're not honestly saying instead of, let's say, trying to control a situation, you're not saying, you know what, this is what I really feel. And it's not an opinion and it's not that I'm blaming you, but this is what I really feel. And then my actions hopefully are going to match that. And that's a healthier way of relating to other people rather than, let's say, demanding or, you know, completely checking out and leaving it to everybody else and saying, oh, I'm useless. I can't do anything here or whatever, you know, or I'm running around trying to make everybody happy and everybody's miserable. And then like disengaging and being like, screw you, I'm done kind of thing. Yep. That's so interesting. So say someone is listening to this podcast right now and I'm like, oh shit, (laughs) this is my situation right now. (laughs) How do you rectify this? How do you start to do that work on yourself? Because you can't, change anyone else, right? Chances are they're going to probably stay in that same role because it's working for them in some way. Maybe. I mean, the thing is with the triangle, the good news is 
if you make a decision, not because you're thinking I'm going to change everybody, but you truly don't want to engage in this way anymore. The first step is taking responsibility. Where is my responsibility in this situation? Where am I trying to throw it off to another person or maybe look like I'm the knight in shining armor or the princess in the castle or whatever? You know, because if you really look at it, you have the villain, you have the princess or the woman in distress, right? And then you have the hero. And that's really what that triangle is. So if you want to be responsible and go, okay, this is what I do. This is my part. This is what I feel I can contribute. And you're being honest. Everybody else is probably going to go, oh, this is changing, you know, and if they don't and they continue in their positions, it still changes the dynamic because you're not engaging in that way. So you're not providing them. It's kind of like, you know, when kids test limits, it's like you're not providing them with that fuel that they're going to react to. Now you've changed the game. Mm -hmm. Do you communicate that to them? Like, do you say, we're in a triangle, I'm out? (laughs) Do you communicate like something needs to change? Because I always find this to be an interesting conversation. I I talk to stepmoms a lot about boundaries and disengaging and kind of, I don't actually like either of those words that much. I find they're super overused right now, especially in the stepmom space. I really like the word like pivoting, like just changing the way that you're reacting to a situation, like getting aligned with your goals, how you want to respond. And like, if that feels right for what you're trying to achieve in your life. And I often talk about how, you know, you can set those boundaries or you can disengage and you don't need to have a conversation with anyone. You just stop showing up in the way that you were showing up before. Yeah. I think that's very similar because taking responsibility, first of all, right? That's the adult, the mature thing to do. And most of us, we get so emotionally engaged in these situations because they can be so explosive that we don't realize that we've gone down that rabbit hole. So it is recognizing it and saying to, you know, whoever saying to the person you're married to your husband going, Hey, look, I don't want to engage this way anymore. So I'm going to do my best to not do that period. Right. You don't even have to explain anything more than that. And then the next time something erupts or let's say he's complaining or, you know, he's talking about it, it's still to go, okay, what can my responsibility be here? okay, honey, I can listen to you, you know, no problem, but I'm not going to react. I don't want to react. It doesn't feel good to me. It causes strife. It causes issues in our relationship. I don't want to do that. And so again, what I'm going to do is my best to remain centered and go, what can I actually do here? And it will change things because again, when you have somebody who's not being triggered anymore in a situation, the other people, they notice it. Even if they don't notice it consciously, they unconsciously will react differently to it. And so what is the difference there between going into, say, problem solving? Say you're the rescuer, Mm -hmm. right? And you're typically like, okay, let's be rational here. How do we solve this problem? You know, let's minimize the conflict. Like, what's our plan? Because I'm guessing that's typically how a rescuer will like come in and try to solve things. How do you tackle life's problems Maybe you're in a higher conflict situation or maybe you have co-parenting stress and, you know, there is a problem to solve without going into that unhealthy type of behavior. Like, where do you draw the line there as someone who is a problem solver without becoming the rescuer in this model? You know, that's a really great question because to me, 
there's different nuances. There's different, let's say, shades of gray with it. And what I mean by that is oftentimes as a rescuer, right, we are going to spearhead the mission. (laughs) We are going to take control of the problem solving. And when you don't and you take a step back and you go, is this my problem to solve? First of all, yes or no, right? If it's not, then of course you want to be there and you want to, you know, be supportive of your spouse, but you don't step into that. And what I also notice, and this is something, you know, because of the work I do, it's all on an emotional level and it's also intuitive. And so what I tend to do is I tend to check in with myself because I used to be a rescuer. I was always rescuing. And so I check in with myself. How do I feel? Does that feel okay to me? Or does this feel like I am, you know, doing my old stuff again? Here I am rescuing. So I will take that responsibility. And then I would say, hey, look, I know this is what I'm doing, right? Because I have a blended family. And if I have an opinion about one of my husband's kids, or he has an opinion about one of my kids, you know, we tend to talk about it, but we tend to stay off the triangle with it. But at the same time, for me, it was very clear, like, okay, this is my business, not my business, you know, and I would go by how I felt. Because at the end of the day, it is about how you feel. Because if you feel out of sorts, it's going to come out somewhere as some strife of some sort. So you always have to think, is this a place I want to, you know, stand on the hill and die in the battle? Or is this somewhere that I want to pull back and just be supportive? Yeah. My mind is like spinning right now. Okay. I have a scenario (laughs) I want to share with you. I've been thinking about this last couple of days because this is what's happened in our world in the last couple of days. And I want to know your perspective on it. Okay. And it's like boundaries and that kind of stuff. So here's the backstory. When Darren and I, so Darren's my husband, we first got together, I was like high functioning codependent, like trying to solve everything, you know, telling the ex how I felt about things, trying to just like deal with everything for him. Like I was going to fix everything, but I basically ended up just making things worse and creating more conflict. Sometimes I solve things, but you get what I mean. Yeah. So there was that. And throughout just our co-parenting relationship, it was like ebbs and flows. Sometimes we were really good, sometimes not so much. And I got to the point where my involvement in things involving my stepkid's mom was just causing me so much anxiety that, you know, my phone would go off and I would feel just anxiety. I didn't know what to expect. And it was just the dynamic wasn't healthy, right? And I just, the uncertainty. So I just removed myself from everything. So I was here to support my partner behind the scenes. I would still help with like any legal stuff that had like happened because that's kind of how we run our home. But in terms of communicating and kind of going above and beyond, I was out. Okay. There's the background. This week, my stepson needed an emergency passport because he's going on a trip. It was expired. So she had gone to get the passport and needed the divorce certificate and didn't think that that's what she needed. She thought she had everything. It just depends on who you get, right? So she didn't have it. She calls Darren. Darren's doesn't have it. He's at work. He has a super busy period of time right now, just in work, like the market's crazy. He's in finance, all of that. He messages me. I'm already super stressed and asks me to find it or ask me if I had it. He didn't ask me to do it, but this is what I do. I go home. I start looking. I basically spent the night going through all of the documents to find the agreement or the legal document, whatever it is. I message her. Like I had to unblock because we had just like, you know, 
boundaries and message and engaged in it. And we solved the problem. In my mind, I was like, shit, like, you know, this was a boundary I had and I've inserted myself again. But then the other part of me is like, well, my stepson needed the passport. There's a deadline. This is just like as a team helping the ball get rolling. And it wasn't making me feel triggered or anything. I was just like in problem solving mode to help out. You know, what are your thoughts on this from, you know, your expert opinion? Cause I've gone back and forth about it. Cause sometimes I feel like our boundaries can be too strict and you do sometimes have to be fluid based on like what's going on in your life at that time. And then other times I'm like, well, you could make that excuse for yourself every week. And then you find yourself back where you were. Right. So here's the thing. And as you were talking, I was thinking about this. If it was a situation that did not include his ex-wife, would you be asking me that question? No. So that's your answer. Because when it comes to, you know, helping out your husband, right, in a situation like, okay, you got to find something. Let's say that he had gone down, you know, with your stepson and gotten the passport or was getting the passport, right? And he didn't have the divorce decree. Well, of course, you would look for it and you would help him find it because you're his partner. And because you didn't feel like you were overstepping your own boundaries. And if it was anybody else on the face of the planet besides his ex, it would be normal to do that. Because as you were explaining it, I'm like, yeah, I don't really think you sound like you're rescuing. You're being really helpful. It's something I would do if my husband, you know, was stuck with something. If he was working and he needed me to get some document, I would definitely be doing the same thing. So I think you can be really hard on yourself. It's just, I think in the after part, it's really observing, okay, can I keep my boundaries where they've been Mm -hmm. and not make this now a new way of relating to her, you know, where we're going to start up with what we used to do. Yeah. Okay. I agree. And I'm happy that you said that because I've been thinking a lot about that, right? Because sometimes it's like, what's best for our family at this time? Right. And Mm -hmm. do you feel like sometimes people are too strict with their boundaries? Like it's become this big thing that there's no flexibility in it and it actually ends up ruining relationships? I think when it comes to boundaries, that people get a little confused about it. And what I mean by that is when you set a boundary, it's so that you stick with the boundary. Because you can't say to somebody, you need to do this, you need to do that, because this is my boundary. You know, people are going to listen or not. Usually they listen more when you respect your own boundary, right? But you don't want to make it a rule. When you make things into a rule, it's like a law, right? So it becomes a thing. And then, you know, it's like going on a diet, right? Okay, I have to be strict. I have to react to the rules of the diet rather than living your life. That is so good. And I think that's where things have kind of fallen off the rails, to be honest. Like I have a lot of stepmoms in my membership and they're in the forum and they'll say, well, I'm not doing anything to help her out because that's the boundary that I've made. And in the end, it's actually not doing your stepkid any justice. You're not supporting your partner. And it really actually disconnects you from your family, which is not what you want. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's that you have to trust yourself enough to know where to go. And what I mean by that is, if it is so black and white that you have that boundary, it says you don't trust yourself. It's not so much you don't trust the other people, but it's what are you afraid of having happen if you don't have such a strong or strict rule? And why can't you have it be a little bit gray so that you can live and breathe and be part of a family? Because you're not by yourself. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's something too, because a lot of us, you know, in trying to really become empowered and feel good about ourselves, you don't necessarily have to have it be where it's you against the rest of the world either, because then that turns into a whole other relationship issue that you don't want. Wow. Yeah. That's super powerful. I'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation because I do feel like this is going to be like this big aha moment (laughs) for a lot of the listeners. And I'd love to switch gears and talk about, you know, insecure attachment because, you know, it's (laughs) another thing that I'm really happy people are talking about more now. And, you know, obviously it's been your work for a while and it's kind of your, your thing. Can you share what got you on this journey with insecure attachment? Because, you know, you talk about how we teach what we need, right? Like this was where you were at back in the day. Yeah. It was. It's interesting. When I became a coach, I became a love coach, which is hilarious because I was married and I was divorced by the time I was 30. And I had three kids with my ex-husband and we had a very contemptuous divorce because he did not want the divorce. So long story short, I had no idea about my own crap. Okay. Because I, I thought I was perfect. I'm perfect too. Yeah, exactly. Aren't we all? Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So I ended up in these dysfunctional relationships. I'm like, what is my problem? Long story short, I was still in corporate. I was still working. And 15 years ago, basically, when everything fell apart in 2008, I found myself being a coach. Like I got trained as a coach. I did not plan on it. But it's just funny because I was in a dysfunctional relationship. And my thing was always... What is it that I'm doing? But I couldn't see myself. And I don't even remember where it was. It was in the early years of when I became a coach. I was trying to figure out, am I a love addict? Like, what is my problem, right? Because I could not get rid of this relationship that I was in. And of course, I always was, you know, with people who also had children. And so I was always working like what you're talking about, right? I didn't get remarried until a few years ago, but all those boyfriends that I had had kids and I had kids and we were raising kids. And so, yeah, so there was always a lot of drama with that too, but it was probably about three or four years into me being a coach that I came across attachment theory and I read the book attached and I'm like, okay, this book is bullshit because, (laughs) and I'm, I'm just saying this because for me, I was an anxious and an avoidant. Like I fit the definition of everything they were talking about. And what they said was, if you are both, you're kind of screwed. So I'm like, well, this is bullshit. I'm screwed. What does that even mean? And it was basically saying, oh, you've got to go find somebody who's securely attached. Well, I wasn't attracted to securely attached people. You know, I could lie and say, oh yeah, that was my game. But the other thing that bothered me was, I wanted to feel okay on my own. I didn't want it to be dependent on me finding somebody who is going to, let's say, tame my attachment style. And so that was how I got into it. And then I just studied everything I could find on attachment theory. When I got my master's degree, you know, I'd already been knee deep in it. And I just started talking about this with clients. And it sort of just seeped into the work I was doing, along with I was writing articles for the Elephant Journal. Like if you look me up on Elephant Journal from 2010, 2012, somewhere around there. And that's when I was in dysfunctional relationships, by the way. But you will see, you know, the whole evolution of, oh, there's attachment theory. So I just started really getting into it. And then it just became my thing 
without me trying to make it my thing because it was such my thing in my own life. Those are always the best things, right? We teach what we need. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving who also help support the show. In the summer, we are on the go a lot. And whenever we come home, I always tell my husband how excited I am to get back and sleep in our bed. Now that it's fall and we're home more and back in routine, I am so excited to be able to sleep in my bed every night. The reason? The sheets. My bamboo sheets and duvet cover from Cozy Earth are heaven on earth. So soft, so comfortable, and even Oprah has described this bedding as the softest ever. Here's the lowdown. I get hot at night and regularly get the night sweats. These sheets are temperature regulating, which has made such a difference for me. Certified free of harmful chemicals, easy to wash, won't pill, and have a 10-year warranty. I cannot recommend these bamboo sheets enough. Of course, I have a code for you, COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off the entire site. Investing in good sheets makes such a difference in your sleep. When you get a good sleep, you show up as a better version of yourself in the morning, you're refreshed, energized, focused, and you look better. Good sleep is the foundation for my self-care. You deserve it and the people in your life deserve it. Cozy Jamie 40 for 40% off the entire site. And if you're looking for sleepwear or loungewear, I also highly recommend the Bamboo Jogger Set. The quality and comfort is uncomparable. Cozy Jamie 40 for 40% off the entire site. Go to jamiescrimshire.com forward slash Cozy Earth. If you're looking for strategies to help you manage stress, this is for you. I wanna be calm. I wanna feel grounded, centered, productive, focused, anxiety-free, and I want good sleep. We all do, right? Newcom helps me do all of that. Newcom is an all-natural stress relief technology that is powerful neuroscience that you can tap into whenever you need it. Clinically proven to naturally relax the brain and body within minutes without drugs. It helps to neutralize stress, helps you feel centered and grounded and in control of emotions, restore your sleep, elevate performance, boost energy, and change your state of mind on demand. Here's how it works. Place a Nucom biosignal processing disc on your left wrist. Open the Nucom mobile app and choose a patented neuroacoustic journey. Start your journey and feel the stress melt away in minutes. For more than 20 years, the company has been helping people regain control of their lives by helping them manage stress. From elite military operators, to cancer patients, to professional athletes, to first responders, to veterans, to pilots, to moms, dads, kids, parents, and friends. In less than 20 seconds, you can put Nucom on and ease your mind and body into the healing zone, rapidly switching off stress and transitioning your body to deep relaxation and recovery within minutes. It's all about restoring your mind and your body. Personally, I put Nucom on during the workday when I've hit that afternoon slump or I'm feeling triggered and before bed to prime myself for a solid night's sleep. Nucom used to be a $6,000 class three medical device. Now it's easier to use and much more affordable through a subscription. For as little as $1.37 per day, you can take control of stress and poor sleep and own the day. Nucom has become one of my favorite rituals and is a go-to form of self-care. Learn more and get all the details at www.nucom.com. That's N-U-C-A-L-M.com and use the code Jamie10Off 
for 10% off. If you are loving this interview with Tracy and are craving more, you can also find Tracy in the exclusive Stepmom community. We did an interview all about dealing with adult stepkids and how attachment styles show up for stepmoms when they are navigating stepmotherhood. As someone who has actively worked on my own insecure attachment, this is fire. Other podcast episodes in the exclusive stepmom community include How to Forgive the Unforgivable with bestselling author Nina Purewell, Dealing with Anxiety as a Stepmom with Michaela Bucaneri, When Your Marriage is on the Brink with Cindy Stibbard, Grieving as a Stepmom, Estate Planning and Blended Families, How to Deal with a High Conflict Ex, How to Save Money on Lawyers' Bills. We've got all the experts, the lawyers, the therapists, the top coaches with some real conversations. If you are craving more podcast episodes, that's the place to go. When you subscribe to the exclusive Stepmom community, you can connect with me in the private forum, pop into my office hours and get individualized support from me and get access to all the workshops, interviews, live Q&As, and connect with stepmoms from around the world. This is a place for stepmoms who are craving more podcast interviews, who want to connect and are looking for tips and strategies to help them thrive amongst the extra stress. Head to www.exclusivestepmomcommunity.com to subscribe, and I'll see you on the other side. So for those who are like, okay, give me a quick recap on the different attachment styles? Sure. So there's many because it depends, you know, every time you have a new researcher, now they have a new attachment style. So basically, if you go back to the beginning, it's anxious, anxious, avoidant, and avoidant. So you basically have those three because when you really get down to it, you know, you have the fearful disorganized, you have ambivalent. The bottom line is you're either anxious, avoidant, or both because even if you're ambivalent, you're still anxious on some things that are different than, let's say, another attachment style, right? Like even people that are avoidant, as an example, they have anxiety. They have anxiety about getting close, okay? And then people who are anxious, right? They are anxious that you're going to leave them and they're clinging. And you have the anxious avoidant who's doing both, which is just... A lot of mixed messages. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's constantly. So you have all of that. and. To me, everybody at the base of it does not understand what emotional intimacy is. Emotional intimacy for any attachment style is a problem. Okay. Tell me more. So basically, when it comes to attachment style, let's say you're a kid and you go through your conditioning without really having any awareness of it, right? We don't know what shaped us. We observed things. We went through things. Well, you were observing, let's say, your parents, right? And guaranteed, one was more anxious, the other one was probably more avoidant. And depending on who, let's say, you thought was the stronger one, or something about that parent where maybe you felt closer to them, you may have more, let's say, of their attachment style. It really depends. Because for me, like my dad, I thought that he was the stronger one. And so I looked to him, and he was more avoidant. My mom was more anxious. I didn't really like how my mom was, but I still had both. And so the thing is, when it came down to emotional intimacy, I don't remember seeing that as a kid. I don't remember my parents being emotionally intimate with me. You know, there wasn't like a lot of affection in my house. There wasn't a lot of, I love you. 
There wasn't any of that. And my parents blamed me for that. Oh, you're cold, you're distant, you're this, you're that. And so you grow up with this, right? Mm-hmm. And you've learned how not to be emotionally intimate. Maybe it didn't feel safe, especially if you have a more avoidant style where it didn't feel safe to, let's say, be close to your parents. And so when it comes to your adult relationships, this is what you've learned. It's like you went to school and you learned this and you don't realize that even if you're anxious, that doesn't make you more emotionally available. If anything, your concern is don't leave me, right? Don't leave me, be available to me all the time, physically available. Emotionally available would probably scare the crap out of you if you're not used to that. Because emotionally available means vulnerable, being honest all the time, right? It means being open, you know, and not putting yourself in a position where you're putting a wall up. Because when you put a wall up, there's nowhere to go. You know, it's really about having that open heartedness all the time and getting closer and being able to handle that. And that's really hard for most of us. Like on some level, I think most of us have some blocks to that. And when you have an attachment style that isn't speaking to love first, it's speaking to attachment first. And I think that's also part of why we don't really get emotional intimacy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because you're so worried about your attachment style and your fear around that, that you don't let that block down to actually get intimate with someone. Right. Because you don't know any better. You know, that's my point too, because you've been conditioned, right? So you don't even realize this. You don't realize this until you have unhealthy encounters in the relationship that you're in, where you're like, God, I don't feel heard. I don't feel seen. I don't feel that, you know, we're getting closer, but you still have to look at yourself. A lot of times we're looking at our partner and wanting our partner to show up. So they make it, let's say safe, but it's not necessarily safe because you're not making it safe. You have to look at yourself. How open am I? Do I shut down? Do I look for certain things to trigger me to shut down? Like I grew up with a mother who would pout all the time. She'd do the silent treatment and she would pout, right? And so in my first marriage, hi, that's what I did. You know, I would shut down. I would just like have that like wall, you know, like I'm not paying any attention to you. And basically I'm waiting for you to apologize or to make it better on some level, right? It's very childlike. But again, this is the stuff we learn and this is the stuff we bring forward. And so you have to have an awareness that you're doing it. And a lot of us feel like it's like in another powerful position. Well, if I don't give the silent treatment as an example, or I don't pout, then he's not going to know that he owes me an apology, or he's not going to know that he's wrong and I'm right, or whatever that strategy is. And to be emotionally intimate, you don't do that crap anymore. You have to be responsible. And you say, this is how I feel about what happened. Instead of, you know, like in my case, when I was growing up, we had to try and figure out what was wrong. Like my mother wouldn't tell anybody. So my dad would be like, well, so which of us screwed up, (laughs) right? Because nobody's communicating. And so how can there be emotional intimacy if nobody's communicating? Mm -hmm. What if someone is just scared that if they do have emotional intimacy and they do say how they're really feeling that they're going to be rejected or their feelings are going to be minimized or something like that? 
that's very legit in terms of why people don't say, you know, what's going on. So this is something that I think is very important and it's not talked about enough either. When you do an action or you say something, you, your brain is listening also, okay? When you give yourself attention, your brain, you notice this. Most of the time we're looking for attention from the other person to validate us, to make us okay. So when you say something that's actually true for you, which isn't blaming somebody, it's just sharing, let's say, how you feel, you're still listening. You matter. And see, we don't give ourselves this because we're not taught, oh yeah, wait a minute, I matter. So if I give myself attention or you know, I say the truth, I'm actually building my own value. You know, we talk about self-value. This is a way of building your own self-value. You're a true confidence because you breathe, because you're alive, because you do matter. You matter to you. And when you matter to you, you come from a different place. Like somebody else listening to you will go, something's changed about you. I don't know what that is. But you do. You come from a fuller place of feeling like you matter and feeling like you love yourself and feeling like you care about yourself because it's not so much that the other person is going to say the right thing to you. It's that you're saying the right thing for you. Interesting. Okay. So that's great. And I totally agree. We do need to give ourselves that love, but still there's so many people who are like, okay, but still my partner is going to make me feel like shit for the way that I feel like he or she, or they're not there yet. Is that just the process of getting to that point and having that healthy relationship? It's probably not easy. It's not easy, but the problem is when we are stuck in that cycle, you're not in a healthy relationship. So the choice is, do I want a healthy relationship or do I want an unhealthy relationship? And whether my partner is part of that equation is up to him. It's not up to me, right? So if I become, let's say, the healthiest partner that I can become, then I'm doing myself a favor. Or I can stay on the wrestling mat with my partner. And, you know, the bottom line is not that I'm promoting anybody leaving their relationship, but what ends up happening is, let's say you decide you want to be healthy and your partner is like, no, no, stay on the mat with me. You're going to make a decision sooner or later. You don't want to do this anymore. And a lot of us are afraid of that because there's a lot of comfort, right? In having a relationship, even if it's dysfunctional. And so to actually get to that point takes a long time. But you come from a place of peace when you do it, when you realize I've outgrown the situation. I no longer feel, you know, engaged. I'm no longer feeling the love. I'm no longer feeling that this is really working for me. And you can be very peaceful and matter of fact about it. But getting there and getting yourself disentangled from that whole way of communication, that can be very painful. Like, you know, your feelings are being made fun of because I'm sure as a kid, they were probably, you know, not taken seriously as well. So when you're in a dynamic like that, you're not getting the feedback anyways. So it doesn't feel safe to begin with. So you have to ask yourself, what do I want here? You know, I'm never going to convince him to make it safe because you're not going to convince another person. So I have to do it myself. How do I make it safe for myself? Okay, I'm going to say a little bit, right? I'm going to start with a little tiny step. Instead of me staying quiet where I usually do, I'm going to say something because it matters to me. And then you say it. And then if there's fallout, you don't have to participate in the fallout. You don't have to participate in whatever happens after that. You can say, you know what? 
I said what was important to me. And if you want to make fun of me, or if you want to argue about it, that's not something I'm going to engage in. I just, I don't have an interest in doing that. I've already told you how I feel and I'm good. I'm fine. And you know, when you take it like that and you come off like an adult, (laughs) you know, because most of us don't, I hate to say it, but most of us don't because we're not taught again as adults, how to communicate. So anyways, it starts to change the dynamic, whether he's on board, he's not on board. It just shows you either this person's going to be on board no matter what the timing is or never on board. And it has nothing to do with timing. It has to do with their crap. Wow. Yeah. And that's very true, right? It's like, we're all just these wounded children walking around trapped in these adult bodies and we're supposed to know how to do things because we're 18. I know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's actually really screwed up. Yeah. Now you have your book, which helps people navigate insecure attachment. So can you share a little bit? Was there eight strategies? I mean, it's basically eight steps. Eight steps. So it's things that you're going to stop doing and things that you're going to start doing. Can you give us a little teaser? Yeah. I mean, you know, the drama triangle is in the book, by the way. And that's part of, you know, before we get into the steps, you read about the drama triangle, you read about how to feel your feelings. Because most of us, we hear that now, let's become a buzzword. And I've been talking about this for years, but feeling your feelings is not necessarily, oh, I'm crying, I'm feeling. Crying is a reaction to how you're feeling as an example, right? So I have exercises in there because my whole thing was, I want to make this a how-to. Like you can read this and if you do the things that I say to do, like the exercises, you really can change your life. You have to do it though, which I think is the hard part because most of us like to read great information and we're like, okay, that's great. But doing it, that's a whole other thing. So that's why, you know, there's the steps, like the steps of you got to stop assuming, you've got to stop personalizing. You know, you want to stop saying yes when you mean no. That's a big one, by the way, for women. I would love to unpack the personalizing piece because I was reading that on your site as well. And that's a big thing, right? We take things so personally. Can you unpack that for us? So as usual, this goes back to childhood because we learned how to personalize things because you were trying to figure out your place in the world as a kid, right? It's like, this is my place in the world. People treat me this way. This is the kind of person I am. And so we're personalizing information. As an adult, we're still doing it. We don't realize how we'll walk into a situation and we are acting in ways that are going to, at times, set up a dynamic with another person, whether it's a stranger or somebody we know, where we get the feedback that we can take personally, whether it's positive or negative. Like you want, let's say, somebody to give you a compliment, right? So you may act in certain ways, or maybe you dress in certain ways or what have you. And that person gives that to you and you personalize the compliment. Oh, I'm good. But what if nobody compliments you when you're looking for one, right? Then you might feel bad. Oh God, I don't look as great. Or I didn't do as good or or whatever it's related to. (laughs) And then you're like, oh my God. And you feel bad. That's how you know you're personalizing. When you pay attention to what other people are saying, as a point of validation for you being alive, literally. So you have to go, okay, how do I validate myself? How do I stop personalizing, right? Because if you put the shoes on the other feet and you look at yourself, let's say, and let's say you're with a friend and they're looking for a compliment, okay? So you may not know this, right? You may be totally checked out, 
tuned in to something else completely and have no idea. So you have to look at that and go, okay, so why do I expect if I know that I'm not always tuned in or I'm not always giving a compliment, what does that say to other people in my orbit here? That's probably the same thing. Like they're not always checked in, right? So that's first, like becoming aware, like, okay, I have this thing where if I don't get you know, the feedback I need, then there's a problem. Or if it's negative feedback, oh my God, you know, like I got to get out of the hole I've dug and all the shame and everything else that I'm experiencing. But at that point, whether it's positive or negative, it's again, you want to go back in time, but you want to go back and you want to pull the roots. You don't want to just go back. Okay. I was a kid. I remember I was in, you know, grade school, this happened. It's really to go back to how does this serve me? Does it serve me? But how did it serve me at the time? Like when I was a kid, what did that do for me? Well, it ruined my whole mood. And then I would, you know, go sit in my room by myself after school. Or on the other hand, oh, it made me want to be friends with everybody because everybody liked me. It's really about going back and reframing that situation because you don't really want to personalize what other people have to say. It doesn't serve you on any level. Unless, of course, they say, hey, you have broccoli in your teeth (laughs) or something like that, right? But other than that, you really don't want the feedback. You don't need the feedback. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of stepmoms do this. I think this is a big issue for stepmoms because they're waiting for that feedback and that gratitude and the appreciation and we see you and like the kids are just living their lives and being kids and maybe your partner doesn't express that as well as they should. And I do think that is a big thing for stepmoms. And it's like, yeah, you got to be like true with who you are and know the value that you're bringing to the situation without waiting for anyone else to validate that for you. Absolutely. I think that's hard whenever you're in that position. I mean, it's always interesting with, you know, obviously my husband has an ex-wife and, you know, even though the kids are grown, it's just like, as an example, we have a grandbaby now, but at the baby shower prior to that, she was told she couldn't drink at the baby shower because, you know, she would be confrontational towards me. And I was like, I was in the mood where I was like, I wish her to do that then. <laughs> like, if she really wants to do that, oh, bring it on. But anyways, they didn't. And it's just because my husband had a lot of medical issues this year. So, but what was funny is then the baby shower happened and then she was with me. Like everywhere I went, she was either watching me or she was coming over and becoming part of the conversation I was having with someone else. For me, it was just funny. I was like, okay, that's really funny. I wasn't personalizing her going, but I just find that I can have that humor where years ago I would have taken everything personally. Yeah, it would have triggered you huge. And actually, I do want to go back to one thing. I just wrote it down. I was looking at my notes that you said a little while back in the conversation says, do I look for things that trigger me? Yes. And I think we do that, right? You know, we have the stories in our mind about how we're feeling or who we are, what our relationships are worth. And then like, we're looking around for things that can confirm that. And if it's negative, you're like, okay, like what could piss me off today? Right? Like, and I know this is super common for stepmoms and I've been there. You know, if I'm not in a good place, I'm just like waiting for something to piss me off. Oh yeah. I think we're all like that. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Because the problem becomes, what are you not dealing with? right? Like if you're in one of those moods and you're looking to get triggered, you have to look at what am I not dealing with in myself? Because I will do that. I always go, okay, 
if I'm, you know, irritated by the bank or something, let's say that shouldn't be irritating, then I'm like, okay, there's something going on. What am I not dealing with? And then I deal with it. I deal with it either through communicating with someone else or at least recognizing it in myself and then taking different action that is going to make me feel better. Because that is the thing you can self-soothe. Again, another thing we're not taught as children is how to self-soothe. But when you learn to self-soothe, by again, giving attention to yourself, which to most people, it's like, ah, no, I want someone else to give me attention. But when you start doing these things, you start to feel better and you don't feel, I don't want to say so explosive, because again, I think most stepmoms are in the rescuing, you know, the rescuing part of the drama triangle, right? Where we are always trying to make everything okay. Yeah. And it doesn't really work. No. <laughs> This has been so great. Thank you so much for taking the time. We do have your interview in the exclusive STEM community as well. If those are listening and they're like, uh, I'm going to need a little more of this type of conversation. I had such great feedback as well. But thank you for taking the time. Where can everyone find you? You can go to tracycrossley.com and all of my programs are there. You know, I have like a free group on Facebook and you can find it there. My podcast is there. Everything is there. Mm -hmm. And everyone needs to go get your book. Absolutely. Yes. And that's available everywhere, by the way. You can find it anywhere online. Love it. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who you think it would resonate with. And if you haven't already, if you could take a couple minutes, head to iTunes and give this podcast a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me, but only if you like the episode though. If you don't, that's cool. Just remember what they say. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, if you are a stepmom craving more, I highly recommend joining my membership, the exclusive stepmom community. Members get access to additional podcast episodes, interviews and coaching sessions and live Q and A's and just exclusive next level content and conversation that I don't share anywhere else. Have an issue or a stressor that you'd like my support with? Just bring it to the Ask Jamie section of the forum. I check in throughout the week and I'm here to help you out. To get more information or to join, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership and I'll see you in there.